chapter 9. Before the Advent season, we were in Ecclesiastes. We're going to jump back in until I go on sabbatical. And uh, we're going to do this uh, for a little while. And uh, I want us to finish up this book before I go on sabbatical. I'm going to keep saying sabbatical because I'm looking forward to sabbatical. If you're not sure what sabbatical is, it just means I'm leaving for a little bit. Okay? And uh, Pastor Roger will be preaching. And uh, we're, that's going to be through the month of February, basically. And uh, my wife and I are going to get a chance to get away a little bit. I'm going to get some study time, get an opportunity to see parts of the world I haven't seen. And I praise the Lord for your faithfulness in helping that happen. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that after 10 years. Um, of being here, and the Lord has been gracious to me. Um, I, I just want to ask you, as you come into a new year, and I know you've got this sheet of paper that you can fill in the blanks. I may not even get to them, and that's going to bother some of you because you have blanks in front of you, um, and you're going to come up afterwards and run up. You didn't say these things, and I might not, um, but I wanted to spend just a few moments today just asking you, how can you make your life count for something in 2018? Have you thought about that yet? Have you thought about how can my life in the ins and outs of my everyday life, maybe not making huge changes, maybe not making a a job transfer or moving to another part of the world, but how can I make my life count for something in 2018? Have you thought about that yet? Because it starts tomorrow, right? So if you haven't thought about it, now's the time to think about it, okay? If you're not thinking about how things can change for the new year, we come to this time of the year and people make resolutions. They, they like to make sure they have their things in order going into the new year. And I'm just asking questions of myself right, right now of what does God expect from me and what should I be about in 2018? As we've studied through Ecclesiastes, we've noticed some things that Solomon, who calls himself the preacher or the teacher, wants us to understand about life through his grand experiment that he's been doing as he's lived his life. He understands that everything happens under the sun and we're all kind of trapped in this reality where we live in a fallen world and things don't go as we wish they would. We all have an idea of the way things should be and it never seems to end up that way. And so I want to just remind you of five things that we've learned so far in the book of Ecclesiastes that help us understand the world we live in and how to live with joy and how to live with purpose and how to live as if everything matters in our lives. The first is this. We are not God. That's the first thing we learn in Ecclesiastes. Hopefully you know that by now. We are not God, and yet everything in our life seems to lean towards the fact that we want to be God, that we want to be in control, that we want to make sure we have things in a way or in a method or in a mode that we can control, right? We want to make sure things are lined up in a way that we can keep control of them. But if we're going to enjoy this seemingly random, fleeting life, we're going to have to come to terms with we can't. We cannot control it. We are not God. And the second reality then is that because God is good, then everything in your life is a gift. That you have gifts in your life, that everything is a gift from Him. He only gives good gifts. Even the negative things that happen in your life, we're told in Romans, work together for good. Okay, so... Everything in your life can be seen through the lens of a good God who is giving gifts when we understand that it's out of our control. We are not God, and because God is good, everything in your life is a gift. We've learned that wisdom is better than folly. That makes sense, doesn't it? Wisdom is better than foolishness. It's just that we don't live that way. We live in foolishness most of the time, right? We, we have our idea. Now, here's what foolishness looks like to Solomon. We think we're in control, <laughs> That's what foolishness looks like. 
So what do we do? We run after things that give us control. We run after power. We run after possessions. We run after enjoyment, pleasure. And and because we think that's going to give us areas of control in our life. And so that's what he calls foolishness. Wisdom to say God is God and I am not. I am but a creature gives us the freedom to live wisely in this world. And wisdom, Solomon would say, is the key to enjoying life. Wisdom is the key to enjoying life. And this is what it comes down to. Life should be lived with the end in mind. Life should be lived with the end in mind. Over and over and over again, Solomon wants us to know this. You will die. Another year means you're closer. Happy New Year! Right? And yet Solomon doesn't think that that should lead us to despair. He seems to think that living in light of that, and the way he puts this is it's better for you to hang out at the funeral home and take note of the fact that you will die than to live as if you're not going to die. Because if you live like you're not going to die, you're never going to enjoy the things that you have. But if you come to that place of realizing that you have but a breath of a life to live, then you begin to squeeze out of it the things that are enjoyable. Life is meant to be lived with the end in mind. And what that leads us to is gift, not gain, should be our motto. What do I mean by that? So many of us are living our lives, and Solomon was this guy who's like, I've got to go pursue this, and I've got to gain, 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 gain. I've got to go up the corporate ladder. I've got to make sure I pursue the next thing. It's keeping up with the Joneses or whoever your neighbors are, right? It's making sure you have the most toys. It's making sure you have the most enjoyment. Making sure you have, have, have. I've got to get, get, get. I've got to gain, gain, gain. And he says, hold on. I've gained it all. And I can't take it with me. I've gained it all. And I still didn't find joy. I still found it to be folly. And it still is fleeting. And it still is pointless. I gained it all, and I sought all the gain and gained nothing in the end. But when I saw all that I had as a gift, it became gain. How can you live a life in 2018 and beyond that sees life as a gift? Because I think then we will live with purpose, we will live with joy, We will live with meaning. Live like you are not in control. How do we do that? How do we live like we are not in control? Because that flies in the face of everything we've been taught, right? Get control of yourself. You must control it. Get control. This is a mantra that we've been taught, a lot of us in our whole lives, that if you don't have control, it's all going to spin out of control. And I want to free you from that today. As you move into a new year, I want 2018 to be the year in my life where I am completely out of control. It sounds so weird to say, doesn't it? Maybe another way of putting it, where I realize that I am not in control. Yeah, it's completely different, isn't it? 
Some of you already think I'm out of control, but that's... But you understand what I'm saying? Yeah? Are you tracking with me on that? That The reality is, as I'm coming into a new year, I've got to think differently about life. I want to I want to be able to find joy instead of constantly having to squeeze, thing, ho, squeeze things in my life, hoping I get some joy out of them. How can I enjoy my family? How can I enjoy my job? How can I enjoy the things that even might seem as drudgery? How can I enjoy the simple things of life? I want you to look at chapter 9 with me, if you would. I'm going to read through the whole chapter, and I just want to point out a few things as we're walking through this today. Verse 1 says, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all. Remember, he's in an experiment. He's actually he's got his wits about him, even though it seems like sometimes he doesn't. He's examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, that would be righteous versus wicked right he goes here's the righteous here's the the wise how their deeds whether it is love or hate man does not know both are before him it is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked pay attention to that the righteous and the wicked the same thing happens to the good and the evil to the clean and the unclean you see how he's doing that righteous wicked clean unclean to him who sacrifices, so the one who worships, and to him who does not sacrifice, the one who doesn't worship God. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears, the one who makes a covenant with God, is as he who shuns an oath, who won't make that covenant, who won't say that he will give his life. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. What's that same event? Death. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. And madness is, in their, madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Just underline that, because that's fantastic. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going." Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish, they are taken in an evil net, and like birds, they are caught up in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it is suddenly it falls upon them. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I said that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. In these verses, the, the teacher, the preacher wants us to understand by his experience that there are, there's one thing that's certain in life, 
And there are many things that are uncertain in life, but we tend to live our lives as if the one thing that is certain is never going to happen, and the many things that are uncertain we can keep control of. Right? The one thing that is certain in life is death. But we tend to live as if it's never going to happen. When you come to that place where you have the diagnosis, where you have a date, where you have an end time to your life, why is that the time that you would start living with joy? How can you be free to live that way now? To live with purpose. Not to live like tomorrow is your last day, because then you would do all kinds of stupid stuff. No, to live wisely as if you know that your days are numbered. How can you live in that way? To live as if death is the one thing in life that is certain. Death comes for the righteous and the wicked, he says. He says it's an evil thing to him. It's a thing he can't understand, and it's a thing that doesn't seem right. That the same thing happens to the people who do all the right things that happens to the people who do all the wrong things. That the guys who go after wicked ways and the guys who go after the good ways... But then he comes back to this reality. He says, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. Really, who is good? No one, he says. We're all getting what we deserve in the end. By dying, we're all getting what we deserve in the end. But for those of us under the sun, those of us who don't have the mind of God, those of us who don't think of things the way God thinks of things, we look at the world and it seems utterly unfair, doesn't it? Surely if we try to do the right things, we should succeed. He says it's just not the way life works out. You can be sure of one thing, though. That death is coming. So live like you are not in control. He goes on to say, knowing that you're going to die is better than dying. What does he mean by that? What he's saying is life is better than death. Thank you, Solomon, for that. Great wisdom in the wisdom literature of the Bible that life is better than death. But how does he put it? I love the way he puts it because he proves that dogs are better than cats. Right? I mean, this is what he says plainly. He says, right? What does he say? A live dog is better than a dead lion. Right? Now, just for make sure you understand this, a lion in those days, as we would now, was held in high esteem. Like when you go to the zoo, you don't go, let's go see the hyenas, <laughs> right? You say, let's go see the lion, right? I mean, that's just the, the way it works. Dogs were not man's best friend. Dogs were scoundrels. Dogs were scavengers in the street. So when he says a dog, he's meaning not your puppy that you love and sleeps with you, though that's weird, right? What he's saying is the scoundrels, the scavengers but he's saying this he says a scavenger that's alive is better than the king of the jungle who's dead life is better than death he goes on to say why because there's opportunity and hope during life once you die the opportunity and the hope is done you get what you get when you die while you live there's opportunity there's hope You know that death is coming, and it's better to know that death is coming than to already be dead. So I want to encourage you today. You have a leg up because you know you're going to die. You've got a leg up in life because you realize you're going to die. If you didn't know it, 
You can thank me. This is your Christmas present. Okay? Your Christmas present and New Year's present all rolled into one. Happy holidays. You're going to die. So you can live. So now you can live. Now you're free to live. You don't have to avoid it anymore. You don't have to try to keep it from happening. Your days are marked out. God has determined that you will live, breathe a certain amount of time, and then you'll stop. And it is not your job to determine how, when that's going to happen. You are free. You're free to live now. You're free to live with hope. You're free to take opportunities. You're free to enjoy life. Because death cannot be avoided, we now can live and live well. But here's what I want you to understand. Because you can't avoid death, you must now live in a way that allows you to die well. Think about that. It's coming. How are you going to do it well? It's always been said, don't make the preacher lie at your funeral, right? I go a step further than that. You know how many funerals I've had to do where I've stood up and I have this little thing that I say, when I'm not sure, I'm not sure if that person is a person of faith in Christ. There wasn't anything in their life that marked them out as a person of faith. That all they had to go on was maybe they were on somebody's church roll or somebody in their family said, I remember one time when they were eight and I have to stand up in front of a group of people and say something to the effect of no one knows better than such and such that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. I have to tell the truth. But I don't know if they're resting in the joy of that. When you get to the end of your life, when you get to the end of your life, will you have lived so that you can die well? Die in faith? Take the opportunity now to think about your life. 2018. How will you live in such a way that you can die well. You see, death is the one thing that's certain, but uncertainty is the norm. You keep going. It says this. Again, I saw, verse 11, that under the sun the race is not to the swift. Well, that's not fair. Nor the battle to the strong. Well, that's not fair. Nor bread to the wise. Well, that's not fair. Nor riches to the intelligent. Whoop. Well, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Things seem to happen in patterns, but not always. Right? It seems like maybe the rich get ahead, blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't happen all the time, right? You know the scoundrels get their way, don't they? And it doesn't seem fair in this life. But if we're honest about it, times and circumstances happen to everyone. So how do you live in your life in 2018 and beyond that when the circumstances come and the times come that you are anchored in something even though everything else is changing around you? When the uncertain happens and things change... What are you going to hold to? How will you live in a way that shows you are certain in the one who never changes? So so here's another way of putting it. All right. So I said, because death cannot be avoided, I must live in a way that allows me to die well. 
But because I do not know when I will die, I must live well now. And what does it look like to live well now? Well, this is what wisdom looks like. To enjoy the gifts given to me. To stop striving for more gifts and enjoy the gifts given to me. To stop striving for gain to get more and enjoy what I've been given. To faithfully enjoy what God has given to me. So think just last week, okay, those of you with kids and grandkids, right? You gave presents, right? Maybe. And when they opened the presents, when the kids and grandkids opened the presents, there's joy on their face, hopefully, right? And they open the present. And what's the worst thing that can happen? It's set aside for the next present, right? How quickly their love for that and their joy in that fades away. And they just want more. I was the kid who was always like, is that it? That's like the worst question. But how often are we asking God? Is that it? I kind of wanted something different. You feel that way about your spouse every once in a while? Is that it? (laughs) How about your kids? Is that it? Why can't they be different? Your church? I'm always fascinated by the fact, and I think we hit on some of this earlier, that if we're going to live with joy, we're going to have to be wise enough to understand that joy is found in the simple things. Wisdom leads to joy when wisdom is found in the simple things, when we're finding our joy in the simple things of life. So let let me put it this way. N.D. Wilson put it this way. He goes, Our futile struggle in time is courtesy of God's excessive giving. Your struggle for joy is because God gives you too many gifts. You thought about that? Your struggle to enjoy what God has given you is because He gives you too much. Sunset after sunset makes it hard to remember and hold just one. Imagine sticking your fingers on your pulse and thanking God every time He gave you another blood-driving, brain-powering thump. We should. And then again, we shouldn't. Because if we did, we would never do anything else with our living. We wouldn't have the time to look at or savor any of the other of our billions of gifts. So here's the reality for each of us. There are too many gifts, and we refuse to thank God for the simple things. How many of you took a shower today? Praise God for indoor plumbing. Right? Hot water? I went to the movies and ate popcorn. It was astounding. They squirted butter on it. (laughs) Right? How how can I not be thankful? I have a daughter who turned 13 this week. And I didn't age that whole time. (laughs) Right? I mean... It's, it's astounding. No, but, but think about the little things. Think about the little... When you got in your car this morning, it was cold, right? And you were like, oh my goodness, it's so cold. You got in the... And it started, hopefully, right? You have a car. 
Are you kidding me? 80% of the world can't say that. Has God been good? And yet we're constantly looking for the next thing that He's going to give us. And here's the great thing about God. He keeps giving. Doesn't He? Even when we're ungrateful wretches, He keeps giving. Joy is found in the fact that life is a gift. He he goes through just a representation of what that looks like. Look at verse 7. Eat and drink with joy. It says, eat your food, drink your drink with a merry heart, with joy. For God has always already approved what you do. Think of it this way. When you sit down, I'm not saying don't pray before your meal, but this is something I, I've said before. People are like, are you going to bless the food? Here's my reaction. If it's on the table, it's been blessed. Because it comes from His hand. I can eat it with joy. I can eat it with joy. Enjoy food and drink as a gift. Make your appearance festive, not drab. He says, let your garments be always white. You would only put on white in, in times of festivity. Make sure you are happy to live with joy, to not walk around going, I'm going to die, even though you know you're going to die. Put on white. Be festive. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Make sure to make yourself look good. Slick it back, right? Do yourself up a little bit. Walk out into life. Yeah, Gary, slick it back. Right? Let's see that. Enjoy your spouse. It says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love. How do you enjoy this, your spouse? I was having this conversation earlier today. What makes love difficult with our families is how constant they are in our lives. Right? Your spouse is constant in your life, and that just makes it really hard. Your teenagers are constant in your life, and that makes it really hard sometimes. Your kids are constant in your life, and it's hard to give love sometimes. Enjoy your spouse. Enjoy your family as a gift. How do you do that? Look at what it says. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and your toil at which you toil under the sun. Enjoy her because that's who's been given to you. She's a gift. She's your portion. Enjoy her. He's your portion. Enjoy him. When you enjoy your spouse as a gift, not as the source of your joy. The source of your joy is the gift giver, not the gift. Amen? Do we really understand that? Because if so, we'd grab tight to the gift giver. And rejoice in the gifts. Instead of grabbing tight and trying to squeeze a lot of joy out of the gifts. Enjoy your job. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Happy New Year. Go to, do, go to your work and do it with everything you have. Do it as unto the Lord to bring glory to Him. Do it with joy because it's been given to you as a gift to do. You realize when you die and go to heaven you will work? I know I just ruined your year. Okay? When you die and go to heaven, you will work. There will be jobs in heaven. You're just going to love them. 
You're going to love the jobs in heaven. Think back to the garden. Adam was there to tend the garden. We're returning to paradise. We're going to tend to heaven. And we're going to love every second of it. Could it be that we as believers in Jesus Christ could love our jobs as a gift today? To enjoy them, not as sources of joy, but gifts from the joy giver. Gifts from the joy giver. You see, 2017 was a year of trial and hardship for a lot of people. But I want you to remember this. Trial, hardship, and death are meant to loose us from the hold that this world has on us. They are meant to loose us from the hold that this world has on us and to help us to long for home. Not so that we would grab tighter to the things of this world, but we would grab to the gift giver who is the source of joy. Oh, that 2018 will be a year where we would ask the question, how can I live with purpose? How can I live with joy? How can I live a life that matters? And I remind you, you will die, so everything matters. You have a judge who is God, your king. So everything you do matters. He is the one who sees everything you do. So everything you do, it matters. And you have a world who needs to hear that he is good. So everything you do in 2018 matters. Let's pray. Father, I pray that Jesus Christ would be glorified, honored, lifted up, proclaimed, that we would not settle for our lives as they are, but we would declare just how awesome and glorious you are. The 2018 would be a year where we don't settle for just going through the circumstances, but we would find joy in you, our gift giver that we would be able to enjoy the simple things of life, that we would live wisely in this world, not as fools. We would not look just for the next thing, but all glory would be to you. That when we eat and drink, we would bring glory to you. We would seek to honor you. That whatever we do, we would seek to honor you. That we would not be so bold or so arrogant as to say, well, this year I'm going to, and this year I'm going to, and next I'm going to. But instead, we would say, if the Lord wills, May we be like James says. May we be like Paul says. May we live now for you and your glory. All glory belongs to you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the band comes up, they're going to close us in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to see.